Well, I don't know, have you ever experienced a power that was beyond your ability to control it? There have been times in my life, just a couple of times, when I have experienced power beyond my ability to do anything about it. One time comes to my mind when I was in college. Jill and I were married when, when I was in college, and uh, we were in married housing at Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa, and back in the day when we were there, married housing was a trailer park. And so uh, we were in a trailer. I believe the width and breadth, breadth and length and whatever of it was 15 feet wide by 35 feet long. And uh, it was home to us. We loved it. Um, and uh, one night, uh, there was a bad storm happening outside. And uh, we never really thought about any sort of exit strategy or what do we do when the tornado siren goes off and it went off and we're thinking okay I can't think of any ditch that we can go to I, I know of nobody's home nearby that we could actually like you know go in their basement we didn't know what to do and shortly after that siren went off it literally sounded like there was a freight train outside it was like and it's the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, we're like, what do we do? What do we do? And all of us, I'm not kidding you, our trailer starts rocking. And our trailer had cables that went into the ground, stakes on either side, and this cable over the top. It just had a number of cables over the top of the trailer and these stakes in the ground, and that's what held it secure. And as we're in there and outside, we hear this loud noise, literally, and I'm not exaggerating here, the trailer starts going up and down and up and down and we're sitting in there you know not knowing what to do we did what you're not supposed to do and that's just stay put in this trailer that's about ready to be picked up and thrown well I'm telling you well as soon as it you know it didn't last very long but we were I mean we were confused more than confused we were we were scared we were fear filled and literally a bit of panic came over us. But it was done. It was over. We were fine. And the next day, we go outside, and I am not, I don't know why I keep saying I'm not exaggerating, because let's just say from here on out, I'm not exaggerating. I don't have to keep telling you that. 200 yards, maybe, maybe not even 200 yards from us, there were these grain elevators, these like big bins, metal bins that hold a ton of grain, super big, tall ones, taller than our ceiling. And uh, one of them had been picked up and moved uh, a number of yards and laid down on its side. It was kind of like half flattened because a tornado had touched down literally like less than 200 yards from our trailer. Power beyond our ability to control it. What do you do when you experience power beyond your ability to control it? We say, because the Bible says, that God is all-powerful. That he has a power beyond our control, beyond our ability to control it. And if this is true about God, then he has so much power that he can literally toss us around a bit, like a tornado might toss someone around. And if he desires to do it, we couldn't do anything about it. Well, we're in this series entitled Foretold. It's a study through Luke chapter 1, a five-week 
study through Luke chapter 1. And we've come now to probably the most famous passage in Luke chapter 1 that many of us, maybe most of us in here, have heard so many times. It's almost as if, yeah, 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 I've heard that story a thousand times. Uh, but I'm interested in this story where Gabriel is talking to Mary, and he's telling her that she's going to give birth to this boy, and she's to call him Jesus. But Gabriel just doesn't tell about, you know, Mary, you're going to get pregnant and, and have this baby. He also talks to Mary about the infinite power of God. So if you have your Bibles handy, uh, go with me to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible handy, that's all fine. We will have the passages up here on the screen. We are now at Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. It says this. Now in the sixth month, now before I go on, the sixth month of what? The sixth month of Elizabeth, who scholars believe was Mary's cousin. Elizabeth, who was older than childbearing years, got pregnant and was to become the mother of John the Baptist. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, let me just help us understand where Nazareth is. I have, I have a map here. And uh, if you notice, right up here is Nazareth, up near the Sea of Galilee. And uh, this is the road that Mary and Joseph would have traveled down to end up in Bethlehem right here. Uh, Jerusalem is about five miles north of Bethlehem. And this whole trek is pushing 70 miles. So when you hear that Mary you know, and Joseph took her down to Bethlehem and she was full with child, shall we say, uh, she was very pregnant. It's like a 70-mile trek riding on the back of a donkey. So it was, it was a bit of a, of a distance. But here's Nazareth up here to the north. And um, Nazareth was a, a, a town that was, it didn't have a very good reputation. Um, it was actually a, a Roman soldier outpost. And so there were a lot of Roman soldiers there in Nazareth. And uh, it had a reputation of a, a town that uh, there was a lot of corruption and a lot of sin. Uh, that's why you may remember when Jesus was starting his public ministry and he's calling his disciples to follow after him. He calls Philip. Philip's following after him. And then Philip finds Nathaniel. And he says, now come and see this man who's from Nazareth and, uh, you know, and follow him. And remember Nathaniel's answer or question? What good could come out of Nazareth? Because Nazareth just had a bad, a bad reputation. So this is, the, this is the city that Mary is living in, Joseph is living in, and the angel Gabriel then comes to the city in Galilee called Nazareth. And you'll see in verse 27, he goes on, it goes on, it says, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was or what kind of, what kind of greeting this was that an angel would actually talk to her. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative, Elizabeth, 
has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. And now here's the key verse. For nothing will be impossible with God. In other words, God is all-powerful. If that is true, then God can do whatever he wants to do. And we can't stop him. You believe that about God? If God can do whatever he wants to do, can we trust him? If we believe that in God's unlimited power, if we believe that he has unlimited power, then how can we be sure that he's not going to harm us in any way? How can we be sure that he won't be cruel? I mean, I've heard people often say something like, you know, you're just one step away from God, you know, pouring out his anger against you. Or God is just holding back now, but there's coming a day, there's coming a day when you are going to experience his power, well, like Jill and I experienced when we were really close to a tornado. He's just going to shake you up a little bit, throw you around a little bit. Matter of fact, I've heard people say that this is how they feel about God. Like people have said, you know, God, he's, he's just been so cruel to me to let these things happen to me. God has just been, not been good to me. I've heard actually Christian leaders teach people, they say to people, that you've got to be afraid of God. Many people live in a sincere fear of God, albeit misguided, unhealthy. They're afraid that they're going to mess up. It's like they have a picture of God that he's, he's got them by the scruff of their neck, and he's dangling them over the pits of hell, and he's just saying, you know, one more little mess up, I'm going to let you go. People have a view of God like that. The reality is it's scary, because if God is all-powerful, then he's powerful enough to do us harm, and we can't stop him. In this text that I just read to you, we do see that nothing is, will be impossible with God, that he is all-powerful. But there's other things in that text that I think we can glean that will help us understand what controls or confines God in his power. What are those things that, that govern God in all of his power? I think as we unpack this text a little bit, we, we will see three things that keep his power in check so that we can trust him. The first thing we're going to see this morning is we can only trust God's power if we know that he is kind. If we know that God is kind, if we know that God is good, then we can trust that, yeah, he is all-powerful, but this is what governs him. Go back up to verse 28 when the angel Gabriel begins to speak to Mary. And he coming in, he says to Mary, he says to her, Greetings, favored one. Favored one. And then down in verse 30, he says something very similar. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It is true that Mary was chosen for a specific role in God's plan to bring salvation to the whole world. She was to be the mother of Jesus. And in that, she has this specific favored role to play. Yet the word favored one there in verse 28 is actually a state of being verb, which means 
you are in the state of being favored. And in being favored, the Greek word there, and this will be important when we jump down to verse 30, is keratao. Keratao. And in verse 30, when it says you have found favor, found is the verb, favor is the adverb. So the adverb favor there is charis. So keratao and charis. The reason why I say that is you can tell that they sound very similar. It's because they have the same root. And it means to show kindness to someone, to show grace towards someone. And the implication here is that the graciousness is on the part of the one showing the kindness. In other words, God is showing kindness to you. God is showing his favor to you. You experience his grace. You're a recipient of his grace. Now, let me ask you, when you describe the fact that you are a Christian, if you are a Christian here, do you say, I am a recipient of God's grace, a recipient of his charis? Do we experience that from the Lord? It's true. If it wasn't for God's kindness and that that's what governs his heart, we would all be doomed. <laughs> you know, there's a beautiful picture in the Old Testament when God is interacting with Moses and we see both his infinite power and his incredible grace or graciousness toward Moses, which I think just highlights how he can have all power and yet be so kind. Go with me back to Exodus 33 and verse 17. It says, The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor. Same exact phrases in Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. You have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. In other words, show me your infinite power. Show me your, your ama how amazing you are. Show me how absolutely good you are. And he said, verse 19, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. I am so powerful that if you were to see, if, he is so powerful that if you and I were to see God, we wouldn't even be able to handle it. Verse 21, then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So then he actually carries this out with Moses. If you jump down to the next chapter, chapter 34 and verse 5, this is when this actually takes place. Look at what it says in verse 5 of chapter 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Moses is the one who calls upon the name of the Lord. Then verse 6, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, that's what the Lord says, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. God is proclaiming his character here. He's proclaiming the very thing that confines his strength, that confines his power, that, that, that what governs his actions. Verse 7, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sins. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Which, by the way, you ever wonder what that visiting the iniquity means? Uh, visiting. Uh, it actually, in your Hebrew dictionaries, if you have one, the very first definition is very clear. It says paying attention to. God pays attention to the ramifications or the consequences of our sins and how it has an effect, not just on us, but on our children and our grandchildren, even to the third and fourth generation. Sin is everywhere, and sin affects everyone. It does take root in one generation, and then it has a ripple effect in the generations to come. But that does not diminish God's character. God is still compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Do we know this about God? Do we understand this about God? What about where the Bible says, well, isn't there a time when, like, you know, God's going to cast a judgment and it's going to be really rough for us, like a terrifying future even for Christians? Well, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31 is pretty clear about that. If you read Hebrews chapter 10, you'll see that it does say that there is a terrifying future for Christians. But it's for those who put themselves in a superior position than God. It's for those who really don't need God in their life. They've maybe trusted Jesus as their Savior, but they haven't followed after him as their Lord. They live and act like they don't need or want God. So they keep God at a distance. I think they keep him at a safe distance, you know, so he can't really have an effect on them at any level beyond what they can control. So let me go below the surface a little bit on this. I think the reason why people keep God at a distance and don't really let him in to the deeper places of their life is because they don't actually believe that he truly is kind. Now they give it lip service, you know. Yeah, of course, God's good. God is good. Of course he's good. He's kind. He's, yeah. But deep down inside, I don't know that they trust him. I don't know that they trust that he is good, that he's kind. How about you? How about me? We can only trust God's power if we know deep down inside that he is kind. Secondly, we can only trust God's power if we know that he is close, that he's near, that he's by us, that he's, he's with us. Back up in Luke chapter 1 and, and verse 28. Luke chapter 1, verse 28 again. Notice Gabriel, the angel, says, Greetings, favored one. And then he adds these words, The Lord is with you. In other words, Mary, <laughs> I'm going to tell you some pretty mind-blowing things. I am going to tell you things that you weren't expecting. <laughs> but let's just have this as the foundation. The Lord is with you. The Lord is near to you. You can face this because he's right there. Seems today like kids are not as, shall I say, adventuresome or risk-taking as as I was when I was a kid, and maybe some of you were when you were a kid, um, it seems like kids are just, they don't, they're not as active, many of them. They don't, they don't get out, you know, they, 
they got their smartphones or they got their little games that they're playing, the electronic games. They don't seem to get out there, but back when I was a kid, you know, we'd always be outside. Back when I was a kid, we had a lot of fun, you know, but I'll tell you what, um, like for instance, there was a hill across the street from where I grew up. It was a big hill, big hill, and we loved to go sledding when there was fresh snow on that hill. I remember one time, it was, uh, it, it was a, a hard snow, so we knew that this, the hill was going to be fast. And we're like, let's go sledding, let's go sledding. So we go across the street, go up the hill, and, uh, and we get up to the top of the hill. And, you know, sure, you can go sledding down a hill, but not us. We wanted it to be an adventure. Anybody can just sled down a hill. We wanted to see if we could stand on the sled when it went down the hill. And it's like those two rung deals, you know, where you're just holding on to the rope, like kind of skiing down the hill on these two little rungs. And, uh, you know, I get up there, I'm like, I can do this, you know, and I kind of scooch forward, and then I get going, you know. I didn't make it halfway down the hill, flying at about 500 miles an hour, and I'm, you know, wow, and I boom, 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 on this icy snow. It hurt. It hurt. That's okay, though. You know, that's what being a kid was all about. That's what, that's what having fun was all about. Or, 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 or playing baseball. I mean, I love. I played Little League, and I played baseball, pick up games in baseball all the time. And, you know, what's with wearing all these helmets and stuff when you're playing baseball? Back when I was a kid, you just get out there and play, you know? And like a face mask, a catcher's mask. I love to play catcher. Catcher's mask? Why? I mean, I can get right in there. I'm fine. I can, I'm not going to get hit. Wham! Smack on the face with a bat. I know. But hey, we were kids. We were having fun. Or how about one time uh, when we were little kids, we would run around the house. Now, I know kids don't run around the house like they used to, and you shouldn't, children. You shouldn't run around the house. Of course not. But we'd play tag, and uh, always the bed was ghoul. You know, ghoul. So the bed's ghoul, and I'm running at full bore, and my brother's catching up to me, and I dove for the bed. Like, I'm 10 feet away. Dove for the bed, came up a little shy, and smacked my head on that little metal bar underneath the mattress. I know. But hey, we were kids. We had fun. Now, those are three examples of times that I ended up making my way to the emergency room. As a kid, before the age of 12 or 13, I was in the emergency room six times, always for stitches. And if I add up all my stitches, those six times, I had 75 stitches total, all from the chin up. I just like to go head first into life, I guess, you know. I've raised my kids. I mean, my youngest is 14 and, you know, got them through all those young, young years. I brought one child one time to the emergency room for a sprained ankle that she got in school for playing sports. I'm thinking, oh, no, I mean, why don't, I mean, not that I'm wanting to bring kids to the emergency room, but. You know, and every time I'm in the emergency room, one of the things that helped me in the emergency room that 
that I remember that I kind of cherish a bit is that my dad was the one that always brought me there. My dad was the one that always brought me to the emergency room, and I'll never forget, you know, I'm laying out on the bed, on the, on the bed in the emergency room, and the doctors had these, like, blue, papery claws that they put over my head, except wherever the stitching had to happen is where they just leave this little square, you know, and then they have this bright light on me and, and this little square. And uh, the doctor would say, no, we've got to numb the area, which translated means I've got to stab you with a needle and then put this stuff in that's going to really sting and send you to the roof. And I knew this by the sixth time, what was coming, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And the thing that my dad always said to me was, he'd come next to the bed, and he'd grab my hand, and he'd say, now, Jeremy, when it hurts, you take my finger, and you squeeze it as hard as you want to. And I remember my dad was there. I couldn't see him, but I, could, I had his finger in my hand, and when they went to do their stitching and to make that numb and everything, I just squeeze his finger with all I got. And it was like it was okay. Everything's going to be okay because my dad's right there. And I got his finger. I'm not going to let go. Mary needed to know that what the angel is going to tell her, it's going to be okay. The Lord is near. She'd be able to deal with whatever came her way as God was calling her to bear this child. And name him Jesus, which, by the way, Jesus means the Lord saves, or Yahweh saves. That this name meant something, that Jesus came to save sinners. Do you and I know that the Lord is with us? Do we know and trust that he's not some distant deity that's disinterested in our lives? I mean, if he is a distant God and he is all-powerful, then he really doesn't care when we get hurt. It really doesn't matter to him when we're in pain. It really doesn't matter to him what's going on in our lives. But God is not distant. He's close. And the Bible calls us to draw near to him. The Bible calls us to trust in him, to call on his name, because he cares for you and he cares for me. No matter what we're facing, even though we can't see him with our eyes, we can reach out to him and in a spiritual way, hold on to his finger. <laughs> and when we're going through something that's pretty tough, just squeeze, squeeze him with all we got. He cares. He knows it hurts. The angel said to Mary, God's word said it to Mary, and God's word says it to us. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. He's close. He's right here. Third, we can only trust God's power if we know that he knows all. If we know that God knows every angle. God knows every scenario. He knows everything about everything including the future, he knows it all, then when in our minds things just don't seem to add up, when in our minds things just don't seem to make sense, we feel a bit lost on what God is up to in our lives, we know that we can trust him. 
Back in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Wait. <laughs> okay, so I imagine Mary, she's hearing all this stuff about Jesus. Listen, you're going to give birth to this little boy. Name him Jesus, and he's going to become the king of everything. He's going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's, he's going to be king of everything. And that would have caused Mary to go, wow, that's amazing. But that's not what was first and foremost on her mind. Mary was wondering, how is this going to happen? Because <laughs> she's a virgin. Most scholars put Mary's age here at a, somewhere between 12 and 14 years old. I told you my youngest daughter is 14, so I'm talking, that's, that's young. But that's in that first century, that's when young girls would get betrothed to their future husbands or engaged to be married to their future husbands. And so Mary asks for clarification. It's like, okay, great, I'm going to give birth to a king, but let me, let me get down to brass tacks here. This is something that doesn't make sense to me. Look at verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Oh, okay, all right. Well, that clarifies it, doesn't it? Okay, yeah, all right. Well, that makes perfectly good sense. Um, you know, we tell this story over and over again. And honestly, do we understand exactly what's going on here? Let me see it again. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Oh. I don't know. I don't really know what that means. It's a bit crazy. It's, it, let me just tell you what, 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 what he's saying. God is all-powerful. And you will have a baby in your womb without a human father. That's what he's trying to tell her. This miracle will happen, and we can't fully understand it, and Mary, no doubt, could not fully understand it either, but she knew that God was all-powerful, and that he knew all things, and therefore, through Gabriel, God says, this is going to happen, and then I love how, how God is not just sort of leaving her dangling out there like, I can't imagine how this is going to happen. He gives her a testimony of her cousin Elizabeth. To help her understand that this is going to happen and it's possible to happen. Look at again verse 36. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And, he who is and she who is barren is now in her sixth month. And then there's that wonderful verse again. For nothing will be impossible with God. No doubt that's comforting for Mary. Um, but it definitely doesn't answer all of her questions. Uh, she doesn't have it all figured out. Uh, she no doubt has doubts, and she's wondering, but she doesn't like need to know all the answers because she knows who God is. That's why it says in verse 38, these words, Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The bond slave, the slave, I'm, I'm, I'm your servant, God. I'm completely sold into your service. 
So may it be done to me according to your word. You know why Mary responded that way? Because she knew that God was all-powerful. And she knew that God was kind. And she knew that God was close. And she knew that God knew all things. So she surrendered. Let me read it to us again. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. So let me ask us this question. If we know these things, if we know that God is all-powerful, if we know that he is kind and that he is close and that he knows all things, if we know these things, what is stopping us from surrendering? What's stopping you? What's stopping me from surrendering? You know, Mary had her life all mapped out. She had it all down. She, she, I mean, it was all set, you know. She's betrothed to Joseph, and, and they're going to get married. And, uh, you know, he's a really great guy, and it's just going to be a simple life, but it's going to be a good life. He's got a great trade. He's a carpenter. He's, he's going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Um, and then God steps in. And God says, I'm going to change your plans, Mary. What you had all mapped out, what you saw as your future is not my future for you. And this is what's going to happen. And when Mary heard what was going to happen, her life was turned upside down. Because she knew, well, when Joseph finds out that I'm pregnant, just like most every other guy in the first century, he's going to reject me. I know he is. It's just what they do. And actually, Joseph was about to reject her. That is, until the angel stepped in, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and following, you'll see that the, the angel steps in and say, I know she's pregnant, but no, you have to marry her. And Mary also knew that, boy, when you know the town finds out that I'm pregnant, this is not going to go well for me. Matter of fact, when the town would find out that she's pregnant, before she got married, she got pregnant, um, I mean, it would be like, you know, Go to jail, go directly to jail, do not pass go for her. Actually, it would be worse than that for her because the law said that you could actually stone that woman for her fornication, which is having sex outside of marriage. We know that she wasn't stoned to death, but she would be stuck with feeling the rejection of her town for the rest of her life. We know this because when Jesus was an adult and he was in his public ministry and he's having a heated debate with the religious leaders, and they're losing the debate. They, they stab them where they just know they're going to hurt them. In John chapter 8, in verse 41, they said to Jesus, We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. We were not born of fornication, was saying, We know about your mother and how you were born out of wedlock. You were conceived out of wedlock. That's the reputation that Mary would have to live with. But she said, let it be done to me according to your word. And Mary's heart would experience great sorrow with raising the Son of God, especially when she would witness her son being rejected by all those people around her, totally rejected by the people that she knew, and ultimately witnessing her son's hands and feet being nailed to the cross. Oh, the pain that would pierce her heart. But she said these words, verse 38. 
Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Surrender. Surrender. Where we give our entire lives to the Lord. Where we say to him, I am your bond slave. I'm your slave. I don't own my life anymore. You own it. All I have, I surrender to you, Lord. May I not pursue my comfort, my plans, but may I pursue you. How I live my life, I'm living it for you. My family, Lord, I surrender to you. I will honor you with how I raise my children. They will know that you are the priority in my life, and you're the priority in our family. My money, I surrender to you, Lord. It's yours. I, I manage it, but I am going to use it for your honor and your glory. I give up control of my life, Lord. I submit my life to you. You, God, are my master, and I am your slave. No matter what the future holds, I know, Lord, that you hold the future. So I surrender. I surrender my whole life to you. Are we willing to truly be bond slaves of the Lord? For some of you here, when I ask that question, maybe you've never been asked it before. Are you willing to surrender your whole life to the Lord? Lay your entire life down at his feet where you would say, may my life be not according to my plan or my words, but according to your plan and your words. If you know that God is all-powerful, and he's kind, and he's close, and he knows all things, what's stopping you from surrendering? For others, everybody else in here, um, maybe at one time in our life we surrendered to the Lord. Maybe at one time in our life we actually said, Lord, I'm giving you my life. But you know how time is. You know how life is. kind of gets in the way of that. And we've drifted away from a surrendered life. I think a surrendered life to the Lord is a daily surrender to him. And so the Lord is calling us to ask ourselves the question, are we willing to surrender our lives today again? I mean, life can get kind of comfortable, you know. We can kind of get into our routines, and we're kind of like what's, what's shaping up for our lives. But God may want to step in and say, but let's make sure that you're surrendered to me. What's holding us back? Fear? Well, let's review again. Do we know that God is all-powerful? Do we know that he's kind and he's close and he knows all things? If we know this, then let's ask ourselves an honest question. What's stopping us from surrendering today? You call us to take up our cross and follow you. You call us to be disciples, fully 
devoted followers of you. God, you call us to surrender our entire lives to you. Lord, by your spirit, draw us to that decision today. No matter where we've come from, no matter what the week has brought to us, you're calling us to a new surrender today. For some, brand new surrender to you. For others, this is a re-surrender to you. You're calling us, God, to surrender our lives to you. Everything that we are. Everything that we're about. If that is in your heart, and you want to pray that to the Lord, just join me in this simple choir, this simple chorus, simple thing to to sing out to the Lord. Just sing it with me. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my precious Savior, I surrender all. Sing it again. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my precious Savior, I surrender all. That's in your heart. If you're saying, God, today is a day that I'm surrendering it all to you, sing it out one more time. Here we go. I surrender all. Sing it to the Lord. I surrender all. All to Thee, my precious Savior, I surrender all.